The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> the scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all these things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. All right. I'm going to do this. So they thought Noah was crazy for making an ark when it was dry. And you may think we're crazy for coming out here when it's this wet, and maybe we are. I, I said uh, backstage a moment ago, this is either the most brilliant or the dumbest thing that we've ever done, and uh, Joe Eberly said, why can't it be both? So uh, we're just going to push through here. I'm going to try to shorten the sermon and stick to the main points, but first I want to thank the person who texted me this morning when it started to pour rain and said, we are determined to sit outside. Determined. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's what I needed from a church member this morning. So thank you for that. So we have been a church, Christ Prez has, for 40 years now. And in God's kindness, Christ Prez has been allowed by God to also become the mother, the grandmother, and the great-grandmother of 18 other churches in the metropolitan Nashville area, and also a mother to the church that Patty and I came from 10 years ago. There's a K-12 Christian academy that's thriving on the other side of the parking lot because of the original founder's vision. We also serve students and families from over 50 schools around Nashville. By the grace of God, we've been able to found a Faith and Work Institute, Nashville Institute for Faith and Work, in the past few years, and to plant three more Christ Pres locations around the city of Nashville. All three of those congregations, I'm told, are worshiping indoors today, which means they're a bunch of lightweights. 
We have between 50 and 60 missional partners that we get to partner with, that we have the privilege of participating in their ministry around the city and across the globe. And so God has done wonderful, remarkable things in the past 40 years. And so as we think ahead to the next 40, what I want to encourage us to do in the next few moments is to look backwards as our way of looking forwards, not just backwards 40 years, but 2,000 years and even beyond that. One of my favorite songs is by Nashville artist Andrew Peterson, in which one of the lines says, stick to the old roads and you will find your way back home. At the center of what it means to stick to the old roads of God, which is the best vision for moving forward. It's the only healthy and life-giving vision for moving forward. The way to do that is to center ourselves on one word from the scripture that Christopher just read. And if you've been around for a while, you might have noticed he gave a shout out to my predecessor, Dr. Wilson Benton, who would begin every sermon after reading the scripture with the grass withers, the flowers fade, and the word of our God will stand forever. So at the center of this model is sharing. Sharing. You may have noticed that word in our text from Acts chapter 2 today. There's several things that we are meant to share. One is a text, that very word of God that does not wither like the grass does. It says in verse 42 that the early Christians devoted themselves. It mean, that means they oriented their whole lives around. They devoted themselves the apostles' teaching, which we now have in the form of the Scriptures, the Bible. As a pastor, whether we're looking backward, whether we're talking about today, this very moment, whether we're looking forward in time, as a pastor, the very best thing that I can give you is what Paul told the young pastor Timothy to give to the people that he was shepherding. Give them Scripture. Preach the Word in season and out of season. Preach the Word when it's convenient and when it's not. Preach the Word when it is comforting and when it is, when it is upsetting. Preach the Word. And Paul would go on to say to Timothy, all Scripture, all the Bible, all the apostles' teaching is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the child of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Another thing that Paul said to Timothy and other ministers and servants of the Word was not only to watch your doctrine or your teaching closely, but also watch your life closely so that your life becomes an example of the things that you preach. And that means that Anyone who wishes to, to be a giver or a dispenser or a sharer of the text of Scripture is seeking with all his or her heart to live according to what it says and also regularly and repeatedly humbling himself, humbling herself for falling short of that very thing. 
what a wonderful thing that, 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 that at the very center of what the text of Scripture teaches us is that we all fall short of the glory of God. Even the Apostle Paul himself at the very end of his life and ministry very candidly and very humbly referred to himself as the chief of sinners. We never get past our need. Give people the high bar of Scripture and show people the low bar of your life and the gap that Jesus fills between the two, and you will have been faithful as a Christian who shares the text, whether you're a preacher or whether you're a parent, whether you're a neighbor, whatever form that God gives you to share the text. So Buzz Graham, if you were at the, the prayer gathering this past uh, <clears throat> Wednesday night, Buzz Graham, who's been at Christ Press for, for many years, for most of his years, reflected back on the first days where Cortez Cooper and Scotty Smith were the pastors of Christ Prez. And the number one fundamental central commitment that was made at the founding of Christ Presbyterian Church is that we will be a church that is centered on the whole Bible. That is what we will be about. And I want to say again, 40 years later, we moving forward will be a church that is centered on the whole Bible because it's the whole Bible, as Luke 24 reminds us, that gives us Christ. And Christ is what we need. Christ is who we need. Christ is ultimately all we have. And so we center our lives and our teaching on the Bible. What this means is that the words, my truth, do not exist in the Christ Presbyterian Church vocabulary. The truth, the truth. We do not stand over or on top of the Word of God and assume editorial rights. We stand beneath it and look to the Scripture to shape us, to form us, even to cut us and carve us up if it must in order to conform us into the likeness of Christ over time. The Bible calls itself the sword of the Spirit. Have you ever gone toe-to-toe with a sword using your bare hands? I hope not, but if you have, you're probably missing a finger or two. You probably have some scars remaining because the sword made out of metal is harder material than your skin and flesh, and it's sharper material than your skin and flesh. And so the the sword remains immovable. The sword does not change. The sword is not altered in in a battle with human hands. So the only thing we have left to do, instead of fighting with the sword and trying to bend and change and alter the sword to our own harm, is to submit ourselves to the sword, to even put ourselves under the sword of God's Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's when the blade in God's hands becomes the instrument not of an executioner, but of a surgeon. Because Jesus refers to himself as the great physician. The best thing we can do is to submit to the surgical scalpel of the Word of God. One of the major emphases in the New Testament letters is the importance of sound doctrine. And sound doctrine is just another way of saying orient your life, your thinking, your words, your speech around the whole Scripture. The word for sound in the original Greek language means 
healthy. The more surrendered we are to the Scriptures, the more we put ourselves under the surgical care of the sword of the Spirit in the hands of Jesus, our great physician, the more healthy we become, the more life-giving and filled with life we become, the more capacity we gain to love God and our neighbor, the more solid like the metal of the sword we become, the more sharp like the blade of the sword we, we become when we surrender ourselves individually and communally to, to the text. The second thing to share is our lives. Notice in verse, verse 44, it says that they're together. And they have all things in common. Just like we will have, as Dr. McGowan reminded us, this memory in common. And the people in the sanctuary, hundreds of people in the sanctuary right now, we're beaming into them. They'll have that in common. Watching those crazy people out in the rain and the people on the breezeway and the people at home. We've got this weird experience that we will get to remember. It's something that we share in common. But what it says about the early church is they shared all things in common. Every day, they gathered together with one another in the temple, in their homes. They were laughing, they were eating, they were serving, they were praying together, learning together, loving, sharing, and hurting together. All of these things. Their life was a life together. Pointing to the fact that a converted spiritual life always leads to a converted social life and communal life. In every way possible, when, when our lives are put under Christ, me becomes a we. And this, this shared life dynamic becomes something very significant, especially in a world like the world that we have been in these last couple of years, where we've been scattered from one another, where, we, where, where, where social life has been so hard, where connectivity has become such a challenge, where the wind has been in our face. This togetherness that the Scripture calls for is an answer to the loneliness that we all feel. And we feel lonely not because there's something wrong with us, but because there's something right with us when we feel lonely for our people and lonely for connection. <clears throat> Thomas Wolfe famously said that the whole conviction of my life now rests upon the belief that loneliness is the central and inevitable fact of human existence. It's an epidemic and it's global. Before the pandemic began, the UK uh, created a new position in the highest form of their government called the Minister of Loneliness. During the pandemic, and Debbie Pixley would know this as a missionary to Japan in waiting, Japan has also initiated the same position, Minister of Loneliness, to respond to the isolation that has happened among its people through covid in the United States, in the last year and a half, mental illness has gone way up, and that is attributed chiefly to the isolation effect. But it's not just people who are alone that experience loneliness. I'll never forget an interview that I witnessed with a very well-known artist who fills not only arenas but stadiums, sometimes three nights in a row on her decorated musical touring career. And, and the interviewer asked her, what do you wish somebody had told you before you got into the business? 
And she said, nobody told me how lonely it would be. Another friend who is an executive in the music industry shared uh, a couple of years ago about an artist who has a similar dynamic of, of fame and massive crowds and filled stadiums who calls this, this friend sometimes in the middle of the night after a concert and, and, and the conversation is the same every time. Hey, how's it going? It's two in the morning. What's up? Are you okay? And the answer from the other line is, I just had hundreds of thousands of people eating out of the palm of my hands and I felt the entire time that I was the loneliest person in the stadium. This is a human problem. This is something that God spoke even into paradise and said it's not good. It's one of the worst things that can happen for a human being is if you're lonely all alone or in solitary or if you're lonely in a crowd. Isolation is a killer. And so what does the Christian community offer to that? Non-performative basis for belonging. A non-performative basis for belonging. You don't have to bring it. You don't have to win. You don't have to be on the top of, of this or that. You don't have to make a name for yourself to belong. That's what Jesus in the gospel through his community provides as an answer to our loneliness. The basis for belonging, this is what makes Christianity so unique. If you're somebody here and you're considering Christianity, you're thinking, what's Christianity all about? What makes it so unique? What makes it so different? Here's what makes it so unique. Here's what makes it so different. You do not have to perform in order to belong. You don't have to be impressive in order to have a place and a seat at the table. The basis for belonging in the community of Jesus starts with the admission of weakness. If you join Christ Pres, if you have joined this church in the past, the very first yes that you said to this church was in, in answer to the question, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, without hope, except in his sovereign mercy? Do you admit your own misery? Do you admit your own weakness? Do you own how much you need Christ and how much you need a community in order to resolve that thing? And you answered yes. And then your second yes was this, do you now humbly rely upon and receive and rest in Jesus Christ alone as the only answer to that problem that you just owned up to, your sin and your misery? You know, there's another church down the road. They have a mantra, and the mantra is this, I am a complete idiot. And my future is incredibly bright. And anyone can get in on this. That's what the gospel offers. You know, we were having an Enneagram conversation uh, in the office last week, and I was alarmed at how many are Enneagram number four like I am. And the, the Enneagram number four is like the tortured creative personality. Our theme song is the song Creep by Radiohead, the lyrics of which go, what the heck am I doing here? I don't belong here. Fours don't feel like we belong anywhere. We walk into a crowded room, I see a four giving a shout out to, to fellow fours. 
we don't feel like we belong anywhere. We walk into a crowded room, we walk into a concert, we walk into a store, we sit at our own family dinner table and we feel like we're outsiders. And that's part of what fuels our, our creativity, that's part of what, what, what fuels the intensity of our compassion for those who hurt. So there's a, there's a good side to it that goes with the shadow side. But if your theme song is, is something like Creep from Radiohead, you know, what the heck am I doing here? I don't belong here, enters Jesus and says, you can't say that anymore. You can't say that anymore about you. Your sin, those things that you hate the most about yourself, your, your weirdness, your, your hurt, your sorrow... Those things don't disqualify you. Those things don't make Jesus want to run the other way from you. Those are the things that make him want to run towards you. Your disability, your regrets, your fears, your anxiety, your depressive nature, those are things that make him want to come and hug you hard. And and, and to say in your ear with, with deep, passionate conviction, you belong. I have called you by name. You are mine. And here's a whole people that I have given this same deep, strong, bear hug embrace, affirming them that they too are not creeps, that they too belong here, that you get to celebrate that belonging reality with for the rest of your days and for the rest of eternity. And the ticket price is zero. No cover charge. No cover charge. There's a place for every kind. The Lord added daily, it says, to the number of those who are being saved. You know what just happened before Pentecost? That's where people, you know, look, the Jewish religion was for a certain ethnicity in a certain part of the world until Pentecost, which opened up the gates of heaven and glory for every nation, tribe, and tongue people from all backgrounds, all people groups, all languages, all cultures, all ethnicities, now hear the message from the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming from on high. You belong. He has called you by name. You are his. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not on the outside. You belong on the inner ring with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's not just different ethnicities and different nationalities that, that that are given this gracious, kind-hearted, loving invitation to belong from this holy and loving God. It's also sinners and sufferers. God gives us so many biographies in Scripture to remind us of this. Jacob, he lied. He told lies. He deceived people and walked with a limp. Noah got drunk. Moses stuttered. He had a speech impediment. And he had a temper. Rahab was a prostitute. David committed adultery and then committed murder in order to cover it up. Mephibosheth was disabled in both of his feet. Jeremiah was depressed. Ezekiel was so depressed that he asked God to take his life. Jonah ran from God. These are the people that God has given to us to consider who belongs in the family of God. Two groups of people, sinners and sufferers. That's who belong. Sinners and sufferers. If you're a sinner, if you're a sufferer, Jesus says, welcome to my table. 
There's a seat for you. There's a voice for you. There's influence for you. My kingdom is upside down. My kingdom is not of this world. The biggest hurdle that keeps people from God is not their sin, not their suffering and sorrow, but the idea that you must measure up, the idea that you must perform somehow in order to belong. Toby Keith, great song. I love this bar. This is good Christian theology here. You want to know what the church is supposed to look like? It's supposed to look like Toby Keith's bar. He says this about his bar. Toby Keith is a country artist, in case you're unaware of that, new to Nashville, etc. He's kind of an icon around here. He says, we got winners, we got losers, chain smokers and boozers, we got yuppies, we got bikers, we got thirsty hitchhikers, and the girls next door dress up like movie stars. I love this bar. We got cowboys, we got truckers, broken-hearted fools and suckers. We got hustlers and fighters, early birds and all-nighters. The veterans talk about their battle scars. I love this bar. I've seen short skirts, got high techs, blue-collar boys and rednecks. We got lovers, lots of lookers, and I've even seen dancing girls and hookers. It's my kind of place. No cover charge come as you are. I love this bar. Come as you are. That's an invitation that Jesus extends to anyone who is weary and burdened and thirsting for a place of rest. Come as you are. But here's a bit of a twist. Jesus says, come as you are in part so he can then also say to you, don't stay as you are. Watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in sound, healthy thinking so that you may persevere in sound, healthy living so that, the, so that the sword of God doesn't become to you as an executioner's sword that you inflict on yourself, but as a surgeon's scalpel that he carefully operates on you with. Christianity is all about sequence. This is It is sequence that separates Christianity from every other religion. Religion says, measure up, perform well, and then you can belong. Christianity says, you belong, and now because you belong, follow Christ. See the difference? Sequence is everything. He says to the woman caught in the act of adultery, I do not condemn you. There's the indicative. I love you. I've loved you from the foundation of the earth. You're, you're, You're the image of God. I created you. I have a plan to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you a hope and a future to make you more beautiful than you ever dreamed to be. Now, he says after that, having established that you are not condemned, now let's address your ethics. Now leave your life of sin and become the woman that you've meant to be. And then finally and very quickly, shared mission. It says that all came on every soul And then after awe came on every soul, the Lord added daily to their number. What's this about? It's simply this. Every person is an evangelist. Every person will tell others about whatever it is they think brings their life the most meaning and the deepest purpose. That's that's why the social media companies are brilliant, putting those share buttons and those retweet buttons. It's because they know everybody is an evangelist. And you can evangelize cynicism 
because that's what you think is the, the, the greatest thing. You can evangelize your negativity because you think that's your great, the greatest thing. Or you can evangelize joy. You can evangelize hope because you think those are the greatest things. You can evangelize so many different things. Check out this band. Check out this restaurant. Check out this new diet. Check out this investment. Lately, I've been finding myself telling people, check out Kirkland products from Costco because they've got great quality shirts and quality beverages and quality golf balls. Everything they do seems to be high quality, right? All of this pales in comparison uh, to what we've been given to share. A text that leads people to Christ who then leads people into non-performative belonging which then leads people to become together a collective impulse determined to bless the world. I think that's the best plan that that we can have for the next 40 years. It's worth doing, rain or shine. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the miracle of people showing up on a rainy day because they want to hear the gospel and they want to be reminded of what you have done and what you will do. Thank you, Father, for, a, for the miracle of a 26-minute sermon from my lips. I don't know if that's ever happened before. But I pray, Father, that anything that's important, that anything that matters, that anything, if there's anything that is lasting and life-transformative and life-changing from anything that has just been said. I pray that it would sink deep into our hearts. Father, teach us, compel us, move us to be people of a shared text, shared lives, and a shared mission together. Whether you give us four more days, four more months, four more years, 40 more years, Lord, find us faithful as we move forward under Jesus Christ, the great physician who surgically heals us with his wonderful sword, which is the word of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.